0: Brothers and sisters, it's great to see you today. If you have your Bible with you, uh, would you please go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 2. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be a black one and a pew rack in front of you. Uh, I, this is my shtick. This is where I'm a little curmudgeonly. I, just, I want you to bring your Bible to church with you every Sunday. Um, you go to the mechanic, you take your car, you go to the dentist, you take your teeth, you come to church, you bring your Bible. I just think that's what we ought to do. And I know that... Everything's digital in our lives right now. I'm a big fan of the old school analog Bible. And so if you don't have a hard copy of the Bible to read on your own, we've got a Bible for you at the welcome desk on your way out this morning. Grab one and go. It doesn't cost you anything. You don't have to ask permission. Just grab it and go. I want you to have a copy of God's Word. And uh, as often as you come to worship, I want to encourage you to bring your Bible with you. So Genesis chapter 2 is where we're going to spend our time this morning. Uh, Friends, this is our last day in paradise. We got to enjoy it (laughs) while it lasts. It gets dark after this, so we got to make the most of it. And there are lessons to be learned even in paradise. Last Sunday in Genesis 2, we learned about God's providence. Today, we're going to learn about God's provision. God's providence, last week we learned, is God's care for His creation. God's provision, our focus this morning, is His knowing and meeting our needs. Chapter 2 of Genesis is covered up with both of these God's providence and His provision. And you know, Adam had to learn about God's provision when God formed him out of the dust and breathed the breath of life into his lungs, he didn't impart full knowledge of all things to Adam. Adam had to learn what it was to be in need, and he had to learn what it was for God to meet that need. He had lessons to learn even in paradise. And if that's true for Adam, how much more true is it for you and I who live in a fallen world, we ourselves fallen people, How much more do we need to learn the lessons of God's provision? It could be that today's a total waste of your time. Genesis 2 doesn't apply to you in any way. If you don't have any needs, if you don't have any sort of problems or difficulties you're facing right now, if you have perfect knowledge of every problem that lies on the horizon, and if you have perfect understanding of every solution to fix every problem you face. If that's you, you don't need this this morning, but for the rest of us, We need to sit with Adam and learn the lesson of God's provision. So my purpose today is to explain how God's provision works and to lead you to treasure God who gives you every good thing. Our passage helps us understand God's provision by showing us three things that God's provision accomplishes. So I want you to follow along with me as I read Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. The Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. It's a beautiful passage in which the glory of God's provision is on full display. So what I want to show you this morning is three functions of God's provision. This is how it works for God to meet our needs And for us to be satisfied in him. The first function of God's provision from Genesis chapter 2 is this. God's provision meets our needs perfectly. When God meets our needs, he meets our needs according to his perfect knowledge and strength. So our scene opens with trouble in paradise. And what's the problem according to verse 18? According to verse 18, the problem is this. The man is alone. And so God articulates the problem. It's not good Man to be alone. Is this a surprise to God? Did this just sneak up on him? I didn't see this coming. I made the man. I didn't think he'd need someone else. This is not a surprise to God. God is fully in control. He knows everything that he's doing. There's no chance God did not see this coming or know this is how things would play out. You see, God's got a plan that he's working in Adam's life. God knows exactly what Adam lacks. He knows exactly what Adam needs. And so God first identifies the need. It's not good for man to be alone. And then God identifies the solution. What's the solution? I will make a helper corresponding to him. Here's the need. Here's the solution. What happens next? Here come the animals. And God parades all the animals in front of Adam, and he names them. Whatever he names them, that's what they're called. And at the end of this long work, guess what? No helper is found that is suitable or comparable to Adam. Again, is God surprised by this? Did God really think, man, I think a giraffe is going to get the job done. I think this is what, or was God surprised that no suitable helper? No, God knew that Adam was going to do this work as God required of him, and he knew that the outcome would be no suitable helper is found. And so what's the point of the entire exercise? The point is this, Adam has to learn what it is to need. And Adam has to learn what it is to have his creator meet that need. God goes through this entire exercise for Adam's sake so that he would feel the loneliness. He would understand how different and distinct he is from every other creature in creation and that he would long for God to meet that need. And so, God is going to meet that need with a perfect solution. Verse 18, he's going to make for Adam a helper corresponding to him. Now, this phrase, a helper corresponding to him, is something that we, we have to spend some time on this morning to make sense of. Because in many different generations of church life, many different readings of Scripture, we have taken this phrase and used it in ways that are unkind to women, and I think are unbecoming of faithful biblical translation. So if it's okay with you, let's put on our Hebrew hats this morning just for a couple of minutes and make sense of this. So the Hebrew words of concern in verse 18, there's two words, ezer and konegdo. And on the screen you'll see that ezer is the word that's translated as helper, Connecto is a Hebrew word that requires an English phrase to translate it. We don't have a one-for-one word to translate connecto. And so uh, every uh, translation of the Bible does their best to translate this uh, in a way that communicates what Moses is getting at when he uses these words. And so ezer, that's the word that's translated helper. Uh, when you think of the word helper, what do you think of? When I think of helper, I think of someone who's an assistant, someone who's beneath the main person, maybe someone who's weaker in ways than the one who has the job to do. And that's certainly some of the flavor that this word has taken on in some circles of church life. So that when we think of the woman, we think of Eve, we think of her as a helper, like an assistant to the boss. But how is the word Ezer used in the Old Testament? You see, helper is a good translation. Nothing wrong with that English word. The problem is the baggage that we attach to it. How is the word Ezra used in the Old Testament? Well, twice it's used as a reference to woman. Both of those are here in chapter 2. Twelve times this Hebrew word is used as a reference for God. Specifically, God who is a deliverer, God who is a strength, God who is a help to his people in need. Four times it's a military reference. A military reference, again, connoting strength and deliverance. And so the word ezer always refers to a strong rescuing kind of help in the Old Testament. It never is a reference to something that is subservient or someone who is subordinate. It's always about strength. Now the phrase connecto is Again, it's this one Hebrew word, but needs a few English words to make sense of it. And so in the translation that I've read to you this morning in our Pew Bible, it's called the um, Christian Standard Bible. It translates it as a helper corresponding to him. If you have an ESV, Konegdo is translated fit for him. If you have a New American Standard or an NIV, it's suitable for him. If you have a new King James, it's comparable to him. If you have a King James, it is meat for him. And Just in case you're rocking King James this morning, let me take just a moment to offer a word of explanation about the King James translation of the word connecto. It translates it as a helper, or excuse me, Ezra is help, "Conegdo" meat for him. A help, meat for him. For him, meet M-E-E-T. What is meant by the word meet? Here's what we've done as we've Englishized the King James through generations. We've taken help and meet, and we've removed the space between and put them together to make one word, help meet. And then in our thinking, and in the way we would read these words, we think it's telling us that God made a help mate suitable for Adam. But that's not what the word help nor meet mean when they're together. In Old English, the word meet means fit, or corresponding to. A help meet for him means a helper, or a help fit, or corresponding to him. In this uh, way of viewing it, understanding it, the ESV translation mirrors the King James at this phrase. A helper fit for him. So, with all of that translation work on our minds, some have suggested various ways of understanding and translating these words. And so you've got a few different options here on the screen. One way of thinking about it would be a sustainer beside him, or an ally necessary for him, or a strength comparable to him, a helper. Comparable to him, this is what the meaning of these words are. There's a richness and a depth to, the, to these two Hebrew words that we might miss out on if we don't understand that the same word used of God is the word used of woman. That the same word used of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, who is your helper, is the same word used of the woman. She's not his servant. She's not his sandwich maker. She's not his remote control finder. She is a strength comparable to him. So God's perfect solution for Adam was an ezer konegdo. She completes what's lacking in Adam, and Adam completes what is lacking in her. I love what one writer, a woman named Jen Wilkins, said on this point. She said, when God solves Adam's loneliness, he makes for him a woman, not a board of elders. She makes him, or he makes him, a strength comparable to him. It's a beautiful line in verse 18. So let's piece all this together now. If God knows Adam's need, and if God knows the solution to Adam's need, and if the solution to Adam's need is better than anything Adam can see or imagine, then what does that mean for you and your need? You know something of your present need, but God knows it better. And you, you don't know anything of tomorrow's needs, or next week, or next month. You know nothing of what lies on the horizon, but God knows those needs perfectly. Now, we often pray our own solutions to our present needs, but God knows the perfect solution. And we can't even pray for a solution to the needs we don't know yet, but God already knows the solution we don't know to the problems we don't know. That's a God to be trusted. That's a God to believe in. That's a God to walk with no matter the trial before you. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, Jesus said this. He said, your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask him. So when we come to God in prayer with a need before us, we're not springing new information on him. We're not informing him of something he doesn't already know. We're not giving him a solution he hasn't already solved. Your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask him. So when you go to him in prayer, we don't have to do so in anxiety and doubt or, or in feverish attempts to get God to bend our way. He's already solved it. He's already working it. He's already bringing it through to fruition for your good and for his glory. I want to apply this to one specific area Uh, of life this week as or no, a few weeks ago as the staff and I were working this passage together uh, there's one group in our church that we really thought about and spent a lot of time considering and that group is our Christian brothers and sisters who are single Uh, someone could read these words in Genesis 2 it's not good for a man to be alone or it's not good for a woman to be alone and then just feel like the Bible is hitting them with a hammer and if all we had was just one chapter of the Bible, if Genesis 2 was all we had of the Bible, then we might conclude that singleness is not desirable. However, the full counsel of the Bible is that single people are full participants in the faith family. And there's special care given for single adults, especially those who are widowed. Jesus himself was single. And so singleness is not a curse nor a deficiency. It can be a special provision from God, a gift from God in which he provides for you now so many christian men and women have recognized this problem in their lives i'm single and i'm alone and then so many have rushed in an attempt to cure their loneliness according to their own solutions throwing themselves into cheap romantic relationships but understand this brother and sister there is something worse than being single Do not rush ahead of God's solutions for you. He knows your need. Before you pray, he knows your need. And he is not punishing you or cursing you or or making you live a less than life. God meets that need. And there's any number of ways he might do that. Maybe there is a person that he's holding for you and holding you for. And maybe until that day he fills that loneliness with his own presence, with the gift of his word, with the gift of your church, and with the gift of friendship. We don't talk enough about the value and dignity and beauty of friendship. God meets those needs. He knows your need. He loves you and he's with you. And so whether your need is a need for lo- that loneliness to subside, or whatever the need might be, what Genesis 2 gives us is a God who knows our needs perfectly and He knows the perfect solution. You can trust Him. There's a second function of God's provision in this story. The second function is this: it's God's provision fuels our praise. So we've got a need, God meets the need, our response is worship. It's praise. And so here in verses 21 through 23, uh, Adam has finished the work naming the animals. No suitable helper found among them. And so God puts Adam into a deep sleep and then out of Adam, God formed Eve. There's a line repeated in verse 22 from verse 19. In verse 19, God brought the animals before the man. Verse 22, God brought her to the man. God brings them all in front of Adam. And Adam's response upon seeing the woman is incredible. He erupts in praise of her. But his praise of her is ultimately praise of God who created her. And what is it that Adam praises? What's the content of his song? Look at it, verse 23. This one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. He praises their sameness. Uh, to be sure they are different. He is man, she is woman. But he's just seen a parade of animals and every animal he's seen and named, he's reminded how they are not like him and he is not like them. But now here is one who is like him, bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. She's like him and he is like her. God has perfectly executed his solution. So Adam praises God. If your worship is dry, if you have lost your song to God, it could be because you have lost sight of God's provision. The cause of a lack of worship is not because God has failed to provide. God never fails to provide. Rather, our failure to worship is evidence that we've lost sight of all that God has given us. For so many Christians, we are like that kid at Christmas surrounded by a mountain of open presents, and yet we're crying because we didn't get the one video game we wanted. We live in a beautiful world that God has given us, beautiful lives that he's provided for us, and yet so many of us define our relationship with God by what we lack. Our days are dictated by what we don't have, and we forget That God is providing every good thing that gets us through our day-to-day lives. Have you paused even today to consider all that God's provided for you? Christian, have you paused at any point in recent days to consider that maybe the root of your discontent is that you have perhaps come to love things more than God. You want the solution more than the giver of the solution. Are you working some contract with God where, God, if you meet my need, I'll do this for you? If that's the case, your heart's in the wrong place. Because our greatest need is not for the thing. Our greatest need is for God and more of him. Psalm 37, verse 4, get this in your heart. It says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. It raises the question then, what is your deepest joy? Is your deepest joy the thing that God gives to you or what God is to you? So what would it do to your worship to not only recognize God's incredible provision in the day-to-day things of life, but to recognize that God the Father gave God the Son to die for your sin, and that God the Holy Spirit lives in you even now? Think of all God has given to you. He has given himself. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this might be a new concept. So many people conceive of God only as a fixer of problems. When we think of God, we're not thinking of the God of the Bible, just some sort of benevolent deity who helps us when we are in trouble. And so he gives the good things we need like a vending machine does. And the way we get this cosmic vending machine to do what we want is we do some good things, do some religious things, and then we show up with 50 cents of self-righteousness and say, hey, you owe me. But that's not God. So many people live that way. The Bible teaches us that the greatest treasure a person can possess is not a thing that God gives, but, but it's God himself. And Our problem is that we have rejected God and uh, we have instead said we want little things that you've made to be God's for us. Give me money, give me success, give me reputation, give me toys, give me the desires of my flesh. These are the things I will attach my soul to and live for. That's a problem. That's brokenness. That's not why God made you. You were made for Him. And so because we have chosen all these little gods over the great God, the one true treasure, we've done damage to this relationship. Our sin separates us from God. We're we're the ones who have rebelled, who have pushed back, who have treated Him like a vending machine rather than our Heavenly Father and our Savior, and that sin has done real damage But here's the good news. God knows the problem you've created, and he has the perfect solution for that problem. The solution is this. God the Father sent God the Son. He gave his one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross in your place for your sins. He didn't come to make you moral. He came to make you alive because you're dead in your sin. Anyone can be moral by uh, culture's standards, but only those who know Jesus as their Savior can really, truly be alive in Him forevermore. Jesus is fully God, fully man. This is why He is the big deal, the centerpiece of the whole story. And He died on the cross for your sin. God provided this perfect sacrificial lamb once and for all to take away your sin. Jesus died. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And his promise to you is this. If you will turn from your sin and if you will trust in him, believe in him, you're forgiven, you're made new, you're, you receive his mercy, his goodness. Every treasure of heaven is yours. Eternal life is yours. God becomes your greatest treasure now and forevermore. I mean, If, if, if eternal life hung in the balance, I wouldn't want to put it off another day. I wouldn't want to put it off another minute to know that God loves me and made a way for me to be right with Him, to have a relationship with Him, to know eternal life, to be free of shame and guilt. I'd want that to begin today, and that's what God desires as well. And so today, if you'll turn from your sin and turn to Christ, you'll be saved, you'll be His child. After this service is our baptism and testimony service, you're going to hear about 23 different stories of different people who heard the gospel and they put their trust in Christ and their lives have been changed forever and we're gonna rejoice in that. And we'd love to rejoice in your story as well. If you wanna know more about what it means to follow Jesus, you've got questions, you've got concerns, let's get together today. Call me this week, email the office, let's get together and talk about Jesus because God has a perfect solution for your problem. Your problem is sin, the solution is Christ. And when you put your trust in him, that's the stuff of worship. That will give you a song to sing. So what does God's provision do? What does it accomplish? Its function is it meets our needs perfectly. It fuels our worship. The final function of God's provision is God's provision fulfills his mission. It fulfills his mission. So verses 24 and 25 have a very peculiar voice to them. Up to this point, as the reader, it's like we've been in the story. We've been witnesses to all of these things. And then we get to verse 24. It's as if Moses breaks the fourth wall. He turns to the reader and he says, this story, this action by God, explains this current cultural custom. It's like he points to it and says, look, this, this story explains not only the custom of marriage between a man and a woman, but also the value and the purity of it. So that a man would leave his family and become one flesh with his wife speaks of her incredible value. And that a woman would leave her family and become one flesh with her husband speaks of his incredible value. Now, on an aside, at my wedding rehearsal dinner in the 1900s, Everyone standing up and saying sweet things to me and my bride-to-be, and then my grandmother stood up. This is two Cody Grandma Story Sundays in a row. What a miracle. This is great. My grandma stood up, and she quotes this verse. She goes, the Bible says that for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, but it doesn't say anything about leaving his grandmother. Hold on to that one. You might need it someday. In Christian marriage, every previous relationship is reprioritized. Your number one relationship is your relationship with your spouse. It is not your kids. It's not mama. It's not daddy. It is your spouse. By God's design, And to live outside of that is to live outside of God's blessing. This is your first relationship priority on planet Earth is your spouse. So it speaks to the incredible value of husband and wife. But Moses also teaches us of the incredible purity of the marriage relationship as well. That Adam and Eve are described as utterly unashamed before one another speaks to their purity and holiness prior to the fall. Now, to call Adam and Eve unashamed, I don't want you to be confused. I've known people who have lived without shame, but that was because they were fools. Adam and Eve live without shame before each other because they are holy. There's a big difference between those two. So, God has a mission for Adam to fulfill. That mission was to fill the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. Adam couldn't do that on his own, so God made woman the necessary complement for the work to be fulfilled. God's provision, listen, God's provision is always for the fulfillment of his mission. God does not meet your needs just to meet your needs. There's always a purpose greater, a God-glorifying purpose to every gift of God's provision. In the case of Genesis 2, the mission of God is fulfilled by man and woman in covenant marriage, and in light of Christ's death and resurrection, the church has been given a special mission by God, and that mission in Matthew 28 is to make disciples of all nations. So God meets your need for salvation, your need for holiness, your need for stuff in the day-to-day of life, so that you will be a full-throttle participant in the mission of God to fill the earth with his glory by the spread of the gospel. That's why God meets your needs. It is for his glory, for his name, for his fame on all the earth that God does what he does for you. Do you recognize you live Where you live by God's design and for his glory. And you have an income by God's gifting so that you can invest in kingdom initiatives. And you have the church that you have by God's grace so that we can partner together in seeing the gospel of Jesus go to the people of the south shore and beyond. God meets our needs for the sake of his mission. He provides for you so his mission will advance through you, When the need is met, work's not done. When the need is met, that's the starting line. And from there, we press forward with the gospel, giving Jesus and his good word to those around us. So what does God's provision accomplish? Well, God's provision does this. Here's what we've said this morning. It meets our needs perfectly. It fuels our worship. And it fulfills God's mission. Do you enjoy anxiety? Do you delight in fear? Are you at your best when you define your days by what you lack? If that's you, then nothing in Genesis 2 applies to you. But if you're tired from the burdens you carry and you're ready to rest in the Lord, then won't you let God provide for you today? Maybe there's a specific situation you're facing you need to entrust to God. You've been carrying this on your own, gripping it, clenching it. It's keeping you awake. It's adding stress, so much stress to your life. It's affecting relationships around you, all because you cling to it. Will you let God take care of it? Will you, will you release that to God? I don't mean, I'm not saying give up. I'm not saying quit on the thing. I'm saying let God be God and you be his child. Let your heavenly father meet your need in his perfect way and in his perfect timing. Maybe the situation you face is a spiritual concern. Maybe it's been a long time since you really walked with Jesus and you know this this dry desert of spirituality. Maybe the invitation to you today is that you would come back to your heavenly Father and you would let him provide for you the times of refreshing that your soul needs. He's always ready. His arms are always open to you. He doesn't need you to prove yourself first and then he's gonna be okay with it. He just says, come, just like you are, just come and let the God of grace and mercy and love and compassion do what only he can do to lift you and clean you and set you on his path again. How do we do that? Whether it's some situation, some crisis in our life, some spiritual need in our lives, how do we let God provide? Jesus taught us how. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, do you know this verse? After talking to a crowd of people about their need for clothing and their need for food, Jesus told them this in Matthew 6, 33, Seek food first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. How do I let God provide? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be provided for you. All these things are not your want list. All these things are... God's glory, God's love, God's righteousness, His kingdom. So what does it mean to seek first His kingdom? It, it means to do what Psalm 37.4 tells us to do. I'm going to love God with all that I am. I, I want His reign and rule to define my life. Uh, it's not my task, I recognize. It's not my task to define problems and define solutions and dictate to God how all this gets worked out. I don't know how it's going to get worked out, but God does. God does. I don't know His circumstantial will, but I know His revealed will. And His revealed will for me in every crisis, every need, every trial is to seek first His kingdom. So God's going to be the Lord of your life. And then how do you seek His righteousness? Well, this means that in every situation I face, I want to walk in the holiness of God. I want every path to be a path of righteousness. So again, I don't know the outcome. I don't know what's coming, but I know this moment what God wants of me and where blessing abounds, blessing abounds when I walk in righteousness, the righteousness of God in this situation. So God's will for you in every type of need is that you would seek his kingdom and his righteousness. And so maybe today you need to bring your need before God and pray Matthew 6, Maybe in light of Genesis 2, we pray Matthew six thirty three, and that prayer, maybe it sounds something like this, God, meet my need in the way that brings you the greatest glory, and let this experience be a path of righteousness for me. What do you call it when all your needs are met by God, and you are living your life for the glory of God, and you are walking paths of righteousness? What do you call that? Brothers and sisters, that's paradise. Let's pray together. Father, our need is great. By our knowledge and our definition and our experience, our need is great. Your provision is abundant. And for you to meet our need does not require special effort from you, a special dose of strength on your behalf. It it doesn't require you to pull heaven together and plot a plan. Father, for you to meet our need is a small thing for you and a beautiful thing for us. And we don't have to doubt your desire to help because we've seen what you have done for our salvation. You gave your son provided him sent him to the cross to die in our place for our sin and if you'll do that for us there's nothing you won't address there's no problem you don't have a solution for so Lord help us today to trust you to seek your kingdom and your righteousness in every trial we face Lord Help us to see your provision all around us and then out of the overflow of that to praise your name, to live lives that exalt you because all the good things you've given and the ways you protect us and the way you hold us. Father, this morning, we've brought our messes into this room and we need you to lift us and help us. got to pray for the friend in here that just maybe for today, the first time is hearing the gospel, hearing the good news that you love them. Lord, grip their heart open their eyes, that they would see you, and they would embrace Christ, and that their lives would be changed forever. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.